Welcome to the Circle Stories Podcast, where we aim to explore the stories within, between, and around the various circles we inhabit in our lives. today is, is Dr. Beth Bias from Circle of Mercy. I wanted to talk to you this morning. I, I usually start with a check-in with my guests. Is that all right? Highs and lows. And um, you can choose whether it's yesterday or the past week or even a longer period than that. Which one do you start with? Um, I'll, I'll start with the low and then we can go to the high. I would say that the um, this week with the protests of and the um, death of, of George Floyd has really been in another layer of being overwhelmed mm -hmm. um, by by how things are going so that's been a that's been a real low point but then the, you know again you look outside and it's incredibly beautiful and crisp and green trees and i took a run yesterday um and i'm just in awe at the beauty yeah uh and so it's this dichotomy yeah <laughs> Um, so exactly. thank you for, for letting me voice that. I appreciate that. I don't, I don't know too much about your background. How long have you been practicing? 16 years. I came here 21, almost 21 years ago and did my residency. So did four years of residency and then have been in practice the rest of the time. Okay. I, I don't know the history of the hospitals here too much. Was St. Joseph still a hospital back then or was it all mission? Yeah. It was still a hospital. I think they had already merged financially mm. uh, with Mission at that time. But wow. there were there were nuns. Uh, I remember walking around the hospital and the nuns were there. And, you know, there were specific procedures that you couldn't do at St. Joe's. Right. Um, but most people, you know, most patients remembered St. Joe's really fondly. Mm. Um, and often patients would have a preference of okay. either St. Joe's or Mission. And then they merged with Mission and now you're... HCA. HCA. Okay. Yeah. So, but I will make a caveat. May I'm part of a the Mayhec uh, program, and I'm employed by Mayhec. Oh, okay. Mayhec's mission is the training of future residents. Um, okay. In family medicine, and of course for me, OBGYN, and we are able to be separate. We use the, you know, we we have our all of our training happens at Mission Hospital, but we don't actually we're not actually owned by them. And you have privileges at Mission. Yes. Okay. There's been a new movement. I don't know if it's new anymore towards a physicianist in the hospital. Is that what they call them that are just there doing general practice at the hospital? Yes. So they would take over patient care from a specialist after a certain point or mm -hmm. how does that work? So the, um, and at Mission, they call them hospitalists. Okay. Um, and so basically, if you are, if you go in through the emergency room with some kind of illness, instead of your primary care doctor admitting you, now the hospitalist admits you. Okay. Um, and the hospitalist takes care of you while you're in the hospital. 
that frees up the GPs in the community from also having to go and make rounds and do right. care at the hospital. Okay. okay. Right. Right. Do you think do you think that's a more efficient way? Do you like that? Do you not like that? What's well, your... the the cool thing for us in o, in OBGYN is that we actually still go to the hospital and take care mm-hmm. of patients, and so we we can do both, which is really nice. I think the efficiency there are some efficiencies gained by having people who understand the hospital and just taking care of people just while they're in the hospital, and then you know, other physicians just being outpatient based. They have seen, you know, let more uh, kind of an increase in patient safety in terms of how a hospital course is treated. Um, and they've also seen you have less days in the hospital if you're treated by a hospitalist than if, maybe if you were treated by your family physician who's having to go back and forth from the office, you know. Right, right. Um, so there are some efficiencies. The, you know, the problem is around the loss of continuity. Right. Uh, that was going to be my next question. So yeah. that, that would be the downside is the continuity of care. Right. And and that might be lessened in today's system by the use of more electronic charting or do well, you think that's not you would a factor? Think. <laughs> <laughs> no. I would think because I don't know. Carl, don't, do not get me started on, e oh, on, no. the, on the medical health record. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll go down that path another yeah. day. Okay. But I will say um, where we have seen the medical record, the electronic medical record help with patient safety is in the medications. So, you know, it used to be, even when I started, like I would write out a prescription and the pharmacist may or may not be able to read what I actually wrote. Um, And so there's some medicines sound the same or the doses could be incorrect. Wait, wait, wait. You're a doctor with bad handwriting? Yes. What? What? (laughs) I try. My, my My dad was an MD. Uh, so I can make that joke because okay. he always got a lot of grief from his nurses too. That place has shown a huge benefit in patient safety and the electronic medical records so that don't always talk to each other. The computer that we use at the hospital doesn't talk to the computer I use in my office, um, but I get a printout of what the what the medicines were. Right. Um, right. And so, so I can look at what was intended and make sure that that's actually what I have in my office notes as well. Okay. Now, this is a, a, a geek question, but where were the most of the mistakes made in, in medication? Was I mean, because, you know, micrograms and, and milligrams yeah. might, might scribble similarly, but yeah. the dosage shouldn't even be available in one or the, uh, you know? Right. Like for a pharmacist, if they look at it and go, well, she meant milligrams instead of micrograms because I can't even dispense in my, I mean, where did yeah. the mistakes happen in, in pharmacy? I, I think it actually all along the way, just because mm-hmm. anytime you're starting to, to decipher and you're not sure what it actually says, it increases your risk. I mean, I actually remember at the beginning of training, like they told us, you have to write out units. You can't just put a U. Oh, okay. Okay. And so, you know, that they had to train us you know, you can't use a trailing zero. You have to put the zero before the um, decimal point. Like, mm. That we got training in in the clarity of that communication really just seems so crazy now. <laughs> so so quaint and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and now there's a drop down menu, so you can't even choose what doesn't exist. There you go. There you go. And that way, the pharmacy can't dispense what. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 So, sorry. Just. 
yeah that, that was always yeah I, I needed two credit hours in college and i took um intro to pharmacology <laughs> just for fun and and it, and it was great it was a nursing course so i sat in with a bunch of nurses and that's awesome as electives go that was a good one you've been working full-time this whole time right yes you aren't one of us who's in our closet recording podcasts and trying to figure out how to get back to work and right but certainly things have changed for you as a physician, when did you first become aware that this was coming, the onslaught, the wave? Mm -hmm. When did you first hear about it? So the the moment I realized this was going to be something we were dealing with was actually the morning. It was my birthday. It was the morning of my 49th birthday. <laughs> I uh, was walking from the shuttle parking lot to our office and had gotten a phone call about a potential person in our office who might have had an exposure from a travel. And so, and it was March 12th. So that's kind of late in the, in the recognition that this was going to be a thing. But for me, when I realized like this is going to affect us big time here right now right. Um, in real life, not only does my worry that she, this person might end up being ill, but that this person may have inadvertently, you know, exposed many patients, many, many patients. So first of all, it was a, a person who had traveled. Mm -hmm. Was she experiencing symptoms? No. Okay. No, but she had ultimately like, and again, uh, it was um, a few days after she was home and working that she realized, well, that she got the news that one of the people she had been traveling with had COVID. Okay, okay. So she was now exposed to somebody who had, who was positive. So that was an early example of contact tracing before it became yeah. a yeah. common a common vernacular. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. And we okay. didn't know what we were doing or how to do that or, you know, we didn't even really have tests available. I mean, can you believe that? Like March 12th, was we so didn't. long ago, that yeah, wasn't yeah. that long ago, but we didn't even, you know, she could get testing, but we didn't have tests available really. No. And you wouldn't for weeks probably. Right. We didn't realize like it was still, you had to go through the health department. We didn't realize mm. like this was going to be something that we were testing for. That's about, I think, out. yeah, I think March 16th was about the time that we kind of everything shut mm -hmm. down and mm -hmm. we all kind of said, oh, this is going to be a thing. Right. You know, yeah. it, it, it kind of hit us hard. And then for the next week, it changed every day. Mm -hmm. Every every time we tuned in, yeah, the news was changing or the Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Wow. I know. Even to think back to that, because I was just having another conversation, you know, those first, I don't know, maybe even full month, they said that wearing a mask doesn't help at all. Right. And now everybody's supposed to wear a mask. Right. Everywhere. Right. So we, it's been weird. There was so much we didn't know. There was so much we weren't learning from other countries' experiences, or if we were learning it, we weren't taking it to heart. Right. I mean, for years, we've seen footage of Asian countries wearing masks for everything from SARS to, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, well, you know, if they're doing it, they're probably a good reason. Mm -hmm. But this whole individualism here in this yeah. country, our culture of individualism is is ingrained is it's entrenched yeah. and yeah. to get people to to wear a mask because you're protecting somebody else has been just a haul i was in harris teeter yesterday and 100 percent mask usage yeah. i mean i don't think they let you in with that one uh -huh. so, yeah so that's uh, that's encouraging at least yeah yeah 
but maybe we can slow it by not passing it if we're asymptomatic. And yeah, that's a goal. This whole um, discussion in the, in the news about uh, treating a virus with an anti-malarial drug. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, malaria is caused by a parasite, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So talk to me about hydrochloroquine and why that would even be on somebody's radar in terms of efficacy for treatment. What, what were they thinking? So, um, I, let me, and just, I know this isn't your specialty, but <laughs> let me just pull up because I wanted to try to figure this out. Also, the hydrochloroquine does something before. So what it does is it actually prevents, tries to prevent the virus from entering the cell. So there is some medical basis. We're not just, there is. we're yeah. not just uh, way off base here. There is some medical. Okay. There is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's, it's basically trying to create an inability of the cell to pull in the virus, right? Just okay. like it was doing that same thing for the parasite. So there wouldn't be any ethical consideration for physicians that are prescribing it if there is some kind of, if it might do more harm than good right. for, for prevention. I mean, yeah. we're not even talking about treatment here. Yeah. Is there an ethical component to a physician's prescribing this? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a, um, you know, obviously the physicians take a Hippocratic oath, right? Or, or just a contract with society right. Um, right. that we will try not to cause harm, right? Like, like we may not be able to fix everything, but we're going to do our best not to cause harm. Right. And so this would seem, you know, like if you don't know for sure, it's going to be beneficial. And there are some times where we have treatments um, that we're not sure will be beneficial. Um, and then we talk to a patient about like, maybe this will help, maybe this won't. And there are times where sometimes that carries some inherent risk, like this medicine does. Like there is a risk that this will alter your heart arrhythmia. I mean, cause a heart arrhythmia. arrhythmia. Right. So I... I mean, my thought would be like, it would be pretty, you'd be pretty hard pressed to make a real case to prescribe this for prevention when we don't know it's going to be effective and it could cause harm. And that would be the, right now, that's the mechanism that we know that it prevents is prevention, not treatment of or any other. I think they have done some trials with treatment. You know, like the idea was like somebody has COVID-19 and then they try to treat it. To maybe um, stop have, this. Yeah. Okay. And they have not found benefit. Okay. I just wondered what the whole <laughs> thing was. I mean, it is taking away that drug from people who need it, like lupus patients and that kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, there are patients who are already taking this medication. Right. Right. Um, who need it for for something that they're, you know, having good efficacy from. Right. Um, right. And, and, you know, again, like they know that there's a risk to that medicine as well. Mm-hmm. But um, if you present it to your patient, you're saying that yeah. an informed patient can decide and the doctor Maybe. can... In, I mean, I'm not sure this, this is the, I'm not sure for, th for this medicine. But that would um, be the... In this scenario. <laughs> okay. yeah. I mean, there may be some places where, I don't know, I can't, I, I can't quite imagine, but there could, I guess there could be some very interesting circumstances where you might decide like, okay, it is, we should try this. It's become, I will say this, it's like, and one of, one of my colleagues said this best, when there's a lack of data, everyone's an expert. Yeah. So That's horrifying. It's really <laughs> terrifying. I would say like, like for me personally, that's one of the things that COVID has uncovered, right? Is like, 
I like to make decisions with with what I feel like is some good evidence or at least some data. Uh, you know, like I want to have like some understanding of, of what the processes are, what's going to work, what's not going to work, what's the best method, mask wearing or not. Like, you know, I want to know. Right. And this has just, you know, highlighted that we don't know. And so for some people, and I'm seeing this even in myself off and on, like, well, if we don't know, we'll just do whatever. Mm. Kind of instead of like, let's keep trying to take a step back and and review as much as we can. Yeah. The the urge to to say yeah. we're doing something is overriding right. our right. ability to collect data. That's right. To make informed choices to do something. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. And that that's a lot of that's public pressure and, and media hype and, and I understand that. In terms of OBGYN, what have you guys been doing different? So I mean babies are being born, right? Yeah, I mean babies are still being born <laughs> so the hospital the hospital you know, interestingly enough, the hospital has continued, obviously, in terms of labor and delivery, almost as if there was no difference. I mean, obviously, we're wearing masks. There's only one, now there's only one support person allowed onto labor and delivery, okay. uh, which can be hard for people. They don't necessarily have the team of support that they were hoping for their delivery. Right. But in terms of doing deliveries and babies being born and C-sections happening, all of that has has continued. How physically removed are you from, say, um, the COVID patients physically in, in the hospital? So the new, you know, they have a new tower over at Mission Hospital. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been over there, but that's where the, like, um, most, most patients who have COVID-19 are okay. or they're in an ICU. Um, so we're multiple floors away and we're quite distanced physically. Okay. Very little interaction between. Very little. We have had one patient, we did have one patient who had COVID while she was delivering. Wow. But that's been um, a couple of weeks now and everything she did fine and the baby did fine and and we had no other, you know, no other positive tests. Wow. There's a whole other thing about that. So does her immunity travel to the, we don't know yet, do we? (laughs) See, That'll be a whole nother, uh, there's so many babies being born now with with COVID positive patients now. Yeah. We'll be able to track them and and collect that data too. Yeah. Good stuff. I mean, not that people are getting, I just. Right. No, I mean, and and (laughs) the, the other thing that's been really what I'm super grateful for is that so with the flu pregnant women seem to be at much higher risk of having very severe respiratory distress we have not and of course it's still a fairly limited number but we have not seen that happen with COVID-19 so and you're probably watching the the national OBGYN Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. taking you're taking the pulse of that too Mm -hmm. they have not seen that either the the respiratory. Now, is a is a mother's immune system super bumped up in the later stages of pregnancy or? It's an interesting. Could she be fighting it more? She could be. So there are some places where there are some things that seem to do um, that pregnancy, you know, immunity seems to be really helpful for. Um, and then there are some things that actually being pregnant seems to make it more risky. And so it's not always just based on the immune system. There seems to be some other factors. There's something else going well. on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Sorry. <laughs> I, mean, I could, I could, yeah, I could get into the weeds that I'm not sure. Let's take a break. While Beth and I managed to stay out of the weeds this time, there's at least eight minutes on the cutting room floor where we weren't so successful. Let's hear a song from my friend David Lamont. This is Saturday.
Pick me up at the bagel dance, a pretty sky. I feel okay and I wonder how people live this way. And I roll back over again. Because the day is cool, the bed is warm. I got no call for a clock alarm. I don't believe it'll do much harm if I stay in bed until 10. Cause I've been needing one of these No responsibilities I've been needing one of these Saturday Shower's warm and the heater's on, so I'll stand right here till that water's gone. And oh, it feels so nice. There's work to do that's plain to see. The laundry pile is as high as me, but the Beatles said just to let it be, and that sounds like good advice. Cause I've been needing one of these. No responsibilities I've been needing one of these Saturday your family doing good everybody's doing really well and they're <laughs> adjusting they're taking it in they're i mean how is how's life at home yeah so my um you know i work full-time my husband stays home full-time okay so matt's matt's at home my oldest stayed in his apartment which is at western um so he was he's at western he's he was in his last semester he has an internship that he has to finish to graduate Mm. So he stayed in his apartment in Cullowee. Okay. Um, 
And then Stephen, who just graduated from Chapel Hill, came home and he is working from home um, and trying to create a home office like environment. It's all in the um, closet works really well. Yeah, I mean, we told him that there's some options. <laughs> and then Rachel, who was um, graduating from high school, but was supposed to be traveling. So she's the one who's done, doing the kayaking high school. Okay. Um, they had to do distance learning for their final quarter, mm. uh, which if you take a group of kids who are used to kayaking for hours, <laughs> put them into distance learning. Ouch. Uh, it's not, it's, it, that's it was, a transition. I I'm think guessing. it was the hardest for her. You can't get much more social distance than kayaking, right? I mean, well, I <laughs> the kayaking would be fine. It's the, the yeah, it's living the and camping together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so actually right now she, so she graduated from high school, but actually right now she's in Jackson hole, Wyoming. Oh. Um, so she took a trip with a, couple of friends of hers and uh, drove out there and now are self-quarantined um, at one of her friends like bed and breakfast and doing some camping but then hoping to work and and figure out some things out there. Doing some guide work or? I don't, she, right now they're painting a house. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, there's some incredible river runs yeah. out there. Yeah, so. they are kayaking. She's probably not, yeah. Yeah, she's able, she's out, now she's actually able to, to kayak, which has been good. Hey, paint houses and kayak, hey, that's... Could nice. be worse. Come on. <laughs> but she was planning on taking a gap year, is that... She's going to go to Lewis and Clark um, in the fall. She's gonna oh, start in Portland. In yeah. Okay. Oh, love Portland. We lived oh, there for two years. Awesome. And, yeah. Yeah. So she she'll love it there. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, so are they going to, they don't know yet, or what's... Right now, they're saying they're going to, they're going to start. So, I mean, we're holding, just like everything else. Yeah. We're, we're making that plan, but holding it lightly. Yeah. Okay, and the key good. is the youngest is, um, did great with online school. Like she finished her sophomore year of Asheville High School online and, and it was really not too taxing for her. In fact, I think she had more free time than ever while, you know, doing school. Um, and she has started on multiple um, house projects with Matt. So they got chickens, they planted a big garden, they started painting uh, outside of the house. There's like Sure, <laughs> okay. That's great. So full to, on. <laughs> to, your, to your two graduates, congratulations. And also, I realized that, you know, you parents have worked so hard to put these kids through and, and get them going. And it's a loss for you not to be able to celebrate that graduation too. So mm -hmm. to you and Matt, we're thinking about you guys too as, as parents. I mean, that, yeah. that's gotta be hard. It's like my kid worked this hard to get this far and I can't even go to the graduation and see him toss his hat and, you know. It's... Yeah, mostly I noticed that it's, um, you know, I'm a big crier. Uh, so I need, it, I need to sit down and just cry about it for an mm. hour. <laughs> yeah. And it would probably be better that they don't have to watch that. So. <laughs> let's, let's not do that with them. Okay. Yeah. What are you missing most about this quarantine time? I think the there is a, um, a loss of an ability to kind of really comfort each other. And I, I think that it's, it's really a problem not to be able to greet somebody. 
you know, even with a handshake, right? Um, or with a friend with a hug. I mean, and and I think that will come back. Um, that feels really real. Yeah, uh, I was talking to Kelsey, who's a social worker, mm-hmm. and she said that some of her clients that are really isolated mm-hmm. and really count on sometimes that mm-hmm. that connection are mm-hmm. missing it. And uh, I'm not a hugger, but Mm -hmm. I kind of miss. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm lucky. I, you know, I have karma, but the people that are isolated and that aren't getting any kind of physical, yeah, Yeah. even a handshake, even a, yeah, even a clasping, you know, the man, the classic man hug or whatever. It's it's not happening. Yeah. And uh, I'm finding that too. I'm finding that we, we visited some friends last night, socially distanced on our, on a porch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the weirdest thing was not to just go up and give him a big hug. and It, it feels so odd. Yeah. And especially when, when what we really, we really do need that connection. Like we're, we're in this time of unknown and crisis. And, and it seems like if we have, you know. Yeah, that would be a thing that would be really kind helpful. of, yeah. Yeah, yeah I I, uh, you know, passing the peace at Circle of Mercy, uh, mm-hmm. you don't really get a choice. They're going to hug you. <laughs> so I got used to it really. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I do miss uh, Circle, and I, I appreciated your, was that Mother's Day that you were? I think it was. Talking? And that was, that yeah. was a, that was a really powerful um, statement you gave, and mm-hmm. Carmen mm-hmm. and I watched it together, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. kind of went, wow. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can find joy in this time mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of, and, and you don't see as much of it as right. the ER docs or the right. um, the respiratory people, but right. But you're you're part of the community and you're part of our our medical mm-hmm. front lines. And the fact that you can still find hope that you expressed mm-hmm. in that talk was mm-hmm. was really uplifting to a lot mm-hmm. of us. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I do. I really am. Even even with the protests that are happening and our our current kind of like highlighting the the fault lines and the schisms that we have in our our you know this time frame that we're having to stay distant from each other. If when we come back we realize how much we missed that and needed that and and instead of taking it for granted, actually you know, highlight that and, and put that into all of our systems. Right. It would really be better. <laughs> that might that might be an outcome that is a positive one. Do mm-hmm. you see other ones coming out of this? I think again, like right now we are we are experiencing the unveiling of a lot of major disparities, right, in health inequities and, and people we can't reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where we could like use telemedicine, telemedicine is a really interesting example right. of an opportunity and it's not for everybody. And there are still people that we are going to, that are not going to be able to utilize that. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a, actually a game changer um, in, our, in our potential to offer another way to access healthcare. Um, or even just having your questions answered, or even connecting with somebody who, you know, can tell you like what to do or what not to do right now. It's been pretty amazing. Yeah, is that going to be uh, 
more of a GP thing or can you even as a specialist utilize that as a as a tool? One really amazing You can't get reason. a fetal heartbeat from no. from telemedicine. You can't. you can't, but once the once moms are feeling their babies move, mm -hmm. you can kind of count that. I will say that the the place that I have seen it so far be the most uh, the biggest aha moment for me was um, we're doing like all of our postpartum visits. So three weeks after somebody's had a baby, we're doing them by telehealth. Okay. Um, and this used to be a time where people did not come back to the office and, you know, r rightly so. You're barely sleeping. You're, you um, know, you have a brand new baby. You, you know, you can't really even remember what day it is. And, and so rightly so that they didn't come to the office. But now not only are we able to connect with them because it's just a phone call, but most of the postpartum visits I've done, I've also talked to the dad. Um, okay. And that's a, you know, that's a really incredible opportunity um, that we usually miss to say to the dad, like, hey, what, how'd that go for you? What was scary or what was amazing or, you know. Or, or your, your very tired wife said this, <laughs> what do you, you know. Give me, tell me what you're thinking. Exactly, about, you know, exactly. Yeah. Wow, exactly. you wouldn't have got that necessarily. That's right. true. Oh. Right. And I, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's pretty traumatic to watch a delivery or, or, or if somebody had extra bleeding or something happen. And we never get a chance to say to the dads, like, wow, that was a lot for you to you have guys to okay. watch. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's been things like that where we might be able to, to even just in a conversation, create a new um you know just a new understanding of that moment can be really powerful now be honest is, is there somebody in the delivery room that's that's designated to catch the husband when he faints is there is there like a do you have a big orderly just standing have, by to... you know, we have a chair that's usually right behind where the dad sits. <laughs> oh that's great See? No, that's exactly. those poor guys. Yeah, I, I know. I know. It's terrible for some of them. <laughs> you did this, buddy. You helped. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I do think that there's going to be some places where that where that will offer another opportunity. It's also been interesting. We've seen some patients who are like, "I don't want you being able to see my background. Like, I don't want to have to. I don't want you looking in my house. I don't want you like. I don't want." anything that, about what's happening here to be something you know about okay um, that's that's real i mean that yeah. there's some very private people yeah and i could see that i can too i can too i mean one of the one of the big memes going around is seeing all these um television news anchors kitchens right it's like who has the best kitchen <laughs> who has the best it's like so yeah i can definitely see yeah. somebody going yeah this is where i live and that's you don't right. need to know how That's I live right. and yeah. Right. right. So there's a privacy thing there too. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It is. There's just a lot. A new normal mm -hmm. um, would look like, look like what, but, but also are, are we basically just waiting for a vaccine here? I mean, is this, is this what's going to kind of put us back together or is that just too optimistic? I, I hope so. I really do. I really, I mean, one of the things that was interesting, I was talking to my dad. He remembers, he's 75. He remembers getting the polio vaccine when he was like eight or nine. Mm -hmm. um, and it being like maybe the first time he actually had a vaccine. Mm -hmm. 
um, and the importance of, you know, having this opportunity to protect yourself and the ability to, to get the polio vaccine, he remembers, has really stood out. So had he been in contact with polio victims? I mean, had he seen the disease firsthand and... One of my, one of his aunts, so it was one, a great aunt of mine had had polio as a child and was, had um, disabilities from that. So yeah. So he, he had seen it and yeah. knew what kind of, yeah. so when that came out, that was a big deal. It was a huge deal for him. He remembers yeah. like, he actually told me he remembers kids being on like an iron lung from polio. Um, wow. And so like it, he he remembers, you know, like vaccine is just offering this liberty. From fear of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of living like that. Yeah. Wow. Which one was the sugar pill? Was that, uh, which vaccine was so, that? So, yeah, that's it. That, that was the sugar yeah. pill one? Okay. Yeah, they put it on, they put, they dripped it onto a, a sugar, sugar cube. cube. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sugar cube. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And yeah. Which, which one left the... The big market. Oh, the smallpox. Small okay. That's smallpox. Yeah. Does he remember that as well? He does. He yeah. does. But he remembers. For some reason, the polio vaccine was like a bigger thing. A bigger for deal. Him. Okay. So I think about that for for like our for our youth for for kids. Like, wouldn't it be incredible that they have this like memory of not being able to go to school and having to be online and then a vaccine coming out and kind of like allowing things How to go out how big of a, a freedom we might feel if, yeah. if we can get that going. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Is, are we going to get one? I, I really do hope so. I think it's going to take longer than what, what we're currently hoping. It'll be next spring or summer, probably rather yeah. than this fall. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we really don't want to mess it up. Like we don't. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. Let's not rush this. We don't want to, this is not something we want to yeah. risk, like losing the, you know, we already have kind of a, a unfortunate uh, feeling around vaccine, you know, vaccines and, and the pros and cons of them. Like we don't right, want right. we don't want to mess it up. No, we want it to be, we want it to be something that's actually helpful. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing though, is like, we're probably going to come to, hopefully we're also going to be able to screen and test. Um, in a way that's real mm -hmm. and allows people to say, okay, I've either already have this and I'm, I'm okay to keep moving forward um, or I haven't and I can do X, Y, and Z to protect myself. So the antibody test needs to be available and administered widely. Yeah. And that will help us asymptomatic people to know whether we even right. carried it or not. Right. And okay, that, that will help. Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder how quick that's going to be we don't know that either. No. Really, it's a kind of a perfect storm of uh, not knowing. <laughs> Karma and I had H1N1 back in 2009. Oh, wow. is, is there now a vaccine for that? No. I've never heard of one. So no. did they just never develop one or no. was it? Yeah, they never developed one. Because it wasn't, it never reached pandemic level? Right. Okay. I think so. I remember we had it for about a week and, and there, were, there were about two or three days in there that I just wanted to die. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, so uh, I had like 103 degree fever and oh my I run pretty cold anyway. I run like 90s, 97s. Oh. And uh, I remember uh, going back to work after about 10 days and they, they had um, plastic sheeted my door and put like a caution tape across it. And <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Wonderful coworkers of mine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I was near death and you were, no, I wasn't. Yeah. I'm glad you can laugh about it. That's, I mean, uh, exactly. Like, this is. Well, we are, there are some things out there that we've been able to laugh about, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad for those. And uh, we also hold all the, uh, mm-hmm. the people that are suffering with this too, but we do have to laugh sometimes. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, this has been a really rough, I, I, I think the other thing that feels so unfortunate is that we're no loss of life is, is not over. Yeah, our numbers aren't really going down that much. Right, right. And uh, that's going to lead to more loss of life. And it's probably, I mean, okay, my brother had it. uh, So I've been touched personally, but there probably aren't going to be very many people that aren't going to have known somebody, maybe not that that died from it, but that has had it. Right. So, yeah, it's, this is going to, this is probably going to touch most of us. Yeah. um, Before it's over. For sure. And sure. uh, those people that uh, that get it with a vengeance have, have uh, has mission been short of anything? Like we hear a lot about shortages or anything. No, we are um, recycling the N95s, uh, which is a mask. You're putting them through um, autoclave or what? Yeah, they well they actually do like a UV light oh, um, treatment okay. to them. Um, and there's also uh, a hydrogen peroxide um, uh, vapor that you can run them through that's also sanitizing. Okay. Um, and these are sturdy enough to withhold a couple of those yeah. treatments? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we haven't had any outright shortages, but we have been really cautious. You're not um, just tossing them away like you used to. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that might be an outcome that is beneficial as well i mean of course i'm i'm only going from my experience of watching er and you know know, stuff on the the floor you know where they're changing but yeah so i don't know what the real situation is like for you guys but uh yeah okay well that's 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 good to hear yeah and i'm guessing all of the um all the ramping up of production is going to help as well catch up in those things and right i mean i think that that's the place around the flattening the curve and the goal to try to you know just make this you know not have a as high of a peak um is to ensure that we can keep up with um the ppe and exposures and um you know healthcare providers and and space we're pretty lucky in Western North Carolina because of St. Joe's where you started the conversation with. We have a whole hospital um, that they basically have ready to open if they need those spaces, if they need those rooms. It's not being used right now? It's not okay. being used right now. But um, they could turn it into could. a, okay. So they always kind of had that, that backup. Oh, that must have been just, in terms of an administration, right. that must have been just a huge <laughs> huge relief it's Hi, a we, huge we relief. have those beds if we need yeah. them uh. yeah yeah and we actually have so at mission even at mission hospital the old emergency room space um, mm. can also be utilized so there's been a ton of work gone into making sure that those spaces really are usable but like you said it's just a huge relief to know 
um, if we needed it. We are, we're, you know, they actually even put up a tent outside of Mission, but we knew, you know, we probably really wouldn't need to get to that type of level. Wow. So, I mean, and, and yet my feeling is Buncombe County has done a, an incredible job of, of keeping numbers low. Is that your, I mean, when you hear North Carolina numbers, um, it's usually Charlotte, Raleigh, mm -hmm. um, some of the bigger, but WNC, you know, Western, we've, I think we've done pretty good. And I don't, I understand that that could be just a lack of testing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's always that. Right. But on the other hand, it seems like once March 16 rolled around, everybody stayed home. Yeah. That could. Yeah. Stay home. And uh, it seems like we've done really well. I don't know. Is that... I think that's true. I, I do too. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with where we are and, you know, and the, really the courage that people, it took for people to stay home and for them yeah. to trust that and to do that is, is actually amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and only now to have the outbreaks in the um, assisted living facilities right. is when a lot of other, a lot of other right. counties had that, you know, from the beginning or, mm -hmm. 80% of their people testing or whatever. Right. So right. It's, un it's unfortunate that's happening now, but right. Karma's mom is in a, an assisted living independent apartment, but it's all enclosed in a building and uh -huh. uh, in Omaha and they have not had a single case. And we have just been so impressed with their, uh. with their handling of it. And uh, it's been hard on her to stay in her room because yes. she's, she's, um, in the early stages of dementia. Yes. And we moved her there before Thanksgiving and she was thriving. Wow. You know, through January and February. She had been yeah. making friends. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we had taken her 300 miles from her home of, you know, since she was 20. Wow. And she was making new friends and she was, you know, doing all these activities. They, they give you an email of, of activities that the, you know, that your mom oh, participates in. I know. So like, oh, wow, mom went to, you know, we, we bowling this week and, you know, so, so to see her kind of decline over the past three months has been really hard because of yeah. how isolated she's been. Yeah. So they started letting them out now with masks in small groups of two or three to the library, to go to the library and get their mail and stuff. Yeah. And I, I think that even that has been helpful yeah. for her. This whole isolation, quarantine versus, you know, our mental health. That's right. Is, yeah. is hard too. Yeah. Yeah. But we're just so grateful that they, they locked her down so quick. Yeah. And that was without a statewide order. Nebraska had no statewide order of, wow. of shelter in place. This facility wow. decided early that they were going to. That is so smart. And That's they're saving lives. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. We, that really does I show still a lot of leadership. I still intend on writing the administrator a nice email. I just haven't done it yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, not an easy uh, uh, thing to do. No. Um, and especially, like you said, when you see your uh, clients at risk. Uh, yeah. Out from isolation and you're yeah. trying to weigh tough. what is the risk. That's a tough call. Yeah. But they basically told these residents that if you leave, you're not coming back for two weeks. And wow. if you, and when you do come back after two weeks, you're going to shelter in, in your room for two weeks. So, you know, they, they took it very seriously, very quickly. Yeah. And uh, I think had other homes done that, yeah, we might be. But um, half of the numbers of, this, of the country are from assisted care. That's, yeah, I know. Yeah, That's our hard. most vulnerable population. Mm -hmm. 
and we're mm -hmm. not doing it right. That's right. So that's, right. that's been right. a, sorry to bring it down. Yeah, no, I think that that's a, so my great aunt who, who um, had a hip fracture and then ultimately died, she was 97. And so when my mom had been talking to the, to the place where she was living, to the, to the residential facility where she was living, they, they said the same thing. Like they had tried to keep people, you know, in their rooms, but it was hard to watch our elderly wise population, even with some dementia, yeah. Um, now having, you know, less, more dementia, really, less ability to kind of figure out where, where and what time and what things were happening because they just didn't have those connections anymore. That's interesting. She's, she's just this week been kind of losing track of time. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, you know, we want those pathways to, to keep being yeah. used as much yeah. as possible and then to put them in isolation. It's like, ah. <laughs> Right, like exactly. The worst thing. Of, exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's going to be super interesting just to see can, you know, what can she maintain and how can she do it? I mean, I'm losing track of time. Uh, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said know, that. How, how could I, I'm hopeful I'll be able to track time when we come through this. Yeah, did you watch Downton Abbey? No. Uh, Maggie Smith is on there and she's the elderly, you know, dowager or whatever of the family. And, uh, you know, this is in the 1910s or whatever. And she goes, week end? What does, you know, yeah. like the concept of a weekend to her was just silly. You know, exactly. For working people, you know. Exactly. They want yeah. a weekend, Grandma. Week right. end? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now we're like, I'm finding the same thing. I'm like, what day is it? Where, where are we? What day? Yeah. Exactly. Every day is the same. Exactly. Oh. I was going to say that the other, I think the other, um, the other place that social scientists are going to be super interested is in these college kids that had to come home <laughs> with their parents and work in their closet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I was just getting my independence and now yeah. I'm back home. Yeah. And, and yeah. honestly, and I don't want to speak for Matt, but you know, now you're, not really a parent you're kind of a, a roommate and you have a really bad roommate that just moved in. <laughs> <laughs> you were responsible for having created the manners uh -oh. that said roommate should be having <laughs> hey none of this came out when i asked you about how family life yeah, is going exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. you can edit this part out <laughs> yeah sure sure, sure. absolutely <laughs> No, but that's true. I mean, we lost some residents here because they're a younger age and they're probably living on the edge, yeah. you know, and when their jobs got lost, yeah. they had to move home. <laughs> You're right. Social scientists everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of interesting studies can we devise yeah, from this exactly. from the COVID time? Exactly. What's going to come out of this? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Awesome. Well, good stuff. Well, Thank you for joining me. I don't want to keep you too long. I don't yeah, know. no, this has been great. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please check out our show notes for this and other episodes at circlestories.org. While you're there, you can leave a comment, browse the archived episodes, recommend a conversation we need to have, subscribe, like, and review. Break Music was provided with permission by David Lamott. Find him and links to his catalog at davidlamott.com. Show Music, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Music by Ada R. Habershon, arranged by Randa Kirschbaum, and performed by Dr. Jennifer Wilson. Don't try and follow us Circle Stories on social media because, well, I just don't have time. C.S. Lewis said, The next best thing to being wise oneself 
is to live in a circle of those who are.